Welcome back to Two Crees in a Pod. We are here in season four and we are very excited to have uh, Roberta Shepard join us for an episode today. And so Roberta, why don't you introduce yourself for our listeners? Mm, okay. Uh, I am, first of all, super honored. Like I don't, part of me before coming on was like, I don't know what I did to deserve this honor, but, um, but I receive it really humbly. So I am Roberta Shepard. I am um, a descendant of settlers here on this Treaty 6 territory. Um, and I honour that. And I vocalize my responsibility as such to um, continue my own decolonization education for the betterment of this place. Uh, I am also mother <clears throat> to one 12-year-old, Caleb. Caleb Adam. And uh, I am also a student of social work. Uh, just completed my first year. I am a holistic health practitioner of 15 years, specializing in flower essences, which are plant spirit medicine. And um, yeah, I'm also a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. I have uh, coming up on eight years clean living. And um, yeah, just, just I, you know, I, I hope to be a, a citizen and a feminist and a, and a human that uh, contributes to the betterment of this place where I'm honoured to stand and live and love and learn. Hmm. Thank you for that. And, uh, and so for folks who are listening, uh, Roberta and I have, a, uh, have developed a relationship over the last year and, uh, and in that relationship have had tons of really cool conversations, <laughs> ones where we drop tons of F-bombs yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and have lots of laughter. And I think Terry, Terry's very, uh, you, you uh, were witness to one of the conversations <laughs> in the car where we were both, Roberta and I were both cussing and laughing. Um, <laughs> and so as we've said on this podcast, uh, fuck is a social work term. And so if, if you hear if you hear the f bomb, uh, we're just gonna put it out there. Um, yeah. Uh, in the in the relationship that that Roberta and I have developed, uh, and in those conversations that we've had, um, I, what I appreciate and love about uh, you, Roberta, is how incredibly aware and and I would I would define you as a very aware uh, person of your social location of where your positionality in this world uh, and who you're connected to and why you do the work that you do. Mm. And so uh, in those conversations, we've talked a whole lot about white supremacy. We have mm. talked a lot about white folks' responsibility. And we have talked about uh, the responsibility in the uh, decolonizing work. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Roberta, you and I have talked about the gap that exists uh, and, and we've also had the conversation about uh, the verdict of uh, David Chauvin uh, recently, the guilty verdict uh, in the murder of George Floyd. And mm. uh, some of the responses of our white uh, settler community, um, or maybe the lack of response of our white yeah. settler community. And so I just want to hear from you, Roberta, in relation to um, the invitation that you have for white folk uh in anti-indigenous anti-black racism work yeah i mean there's so many directions to go with this right um <clears throat> the invitation 
Where do I even begin? I mean, I think that the the resounding invitation for for white folks, for my white settler Eurocentric counterparts, is to the continual invitation is for a self-imposed, vigilant, ongoing, lifelong anti-racist and decolonization education. Um, and why? I mean, I, I mean, there's so many questions that hang in the air after that statement, right? What is decolonization? Why is this invitation in place? Why is it not being embraced? So, I mean, all of those questions could be addressed. I wish I could say that I received the invitation because of my own deep awareness of the dysfunction that white supremacy uh, has laid a foundation for in our, in across Turtle Island, across this nation. However, I cannot say that. The invitation for me came um, from my child, who is a, a racialized person. And uh, when he was four, we were at an event and uh, there, we were doing this beanbag toss and uh, he was really shy about doing the beanbag toss. And I was encouraging him. I was like, you know, let's, you know we can do this. Let's you know what's going on. And out of nowhere, seemingly, seemingly out of nowhere, I now see where it came from and what the root of this was. But at the time, to me, through my, my uh, whitewashed lens, it seemed like it was out of nowhere. He blurts out. I don't like myself. And of course, my mom's heart was like, what? I said, why? And he was like, because I'm brown. And I was like. And then my mind starts spinning. I'm like, who said something to him? Mm -hmm. Oh, was it his daycare provider? Was it this person or that person? Someone had to have said something to him. For him to get this notion and this idea that he's not good enough, that he has this like self-awareness inside of him that's negative because of his skin tone. And over time with my own work, so that was when he's four, he's now 12. So this is um, eight years of concentrated work and looking since then. I see that it's not because anyone said anything. It's because it's the tenor hmm. of, the, of the culture, of the white supremacist culture. It's it's like a beat, you know. Nobody had to say anything. It weaves itself through hmm. a culture that has been imposed and thrust upon this place at the expense of another culture. That, in my estimation, I will say it quite. I mean, is is far more. And I mean, there, we can't even associate the word beauty to white supremacist culture. The culture that is of this place is beautiful, and white supremacy has come in and squelt has has attempted, hasn't succeeded, but has attempted over the centuries to fucking squelch it. Right, mm -hmm. and y'all are still here. Thank God. But it has become the tenor of it because we know 
you you both are working in the system, right? How do you how do you move inside the system, right? I know you've had those conversations in your your episodes in the past. Like, you know, if you come in and and like set off a bomb, or do you go in like a Trojan horse? Like, I mean, whatever. That's a whole other conversation. Spider. Yeah, it's like a spider. spider. Yeah, spider. <laughs> but I mean, to circle back, you know, I I see that that for him, it's again, it's 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 um, it's the tenor of the culture. It's it's you know, and so for that reason, and because this white supremacist culture, which puts its yucky tentacles into everything and tears things apart, tears people apart, separates us, polarizes us, uh, and is violent. That is the reason for the invitation. And as we were talking before the episode started about um, Derek Chauvin's uh, verdict and um, his... his, uh, guilt in the murder of George Floyd. What Amber and I were talking about was, you know, black and brown folks are saying on certain social platforms, okay, yeah, this is good. And we have more work to do. And I noticed uh, a black woman's post saying, I see you, kin folk, black and brown folks. I see you. I see that you know, we're saying, oh, this is a good, this is a little step, and there's more work to do. Where are the white folks saying that? Because where does the real work, where's that gap? Where does the real work need to happen? Where does the rubber need to hit the road for us to collectively dismantle the white supremacist tenor that causes a four-year-old to belittle themselves because of the tone of their skin? Where does that rubber need to hit the road? In the white communities. That's the gap. White folks need to really uh, take hold of the responsibility that we have by, in fact, that we are our feeder on this ground. We have a responsibility to do our own anti-racism and decolonization work. And how many of us are actually doing it? How many of us actually accept it as a responsibility? I'm it's shitty to say I don't think there's very many. Hmm. There's not enough. Mm-hmm. There's not enough for, for a swell, for for a wave and a swell to occur to to crash down on this white supremacist culture that that you know is seeping continues to seep into all the pockets of, of our society. Well, fuck. <laughs> Where do I, I that word. start? <laughs> well, fuck, fuck's fuck sake. <laughs> Fucking rights. <laughs> that's all. Well done. That's, hey, no, take no, care, I'm guys. Have a great day. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, oh, man, like, there's so much, there's so much stories, and there's so much shit out there in terms of, you know, um, our own experiences too, in terms of um, the spaces that we we work in, the spaces that we are invited into, and I think that you know one of the things that I you know for 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 our listeners that I found that has been hurtful for me as an mm. Indigenous woman mm. 
has been going into spaces and not being heard. Mm. Not being heard. And and, and I, I carry a leadership position. And so when I'm speaking about um, concerns and complaints about racism, uh, discrimination on campus, when I'm speaking about and bringing forward how we have racial profiling happening, when I am saying all these things and I am not being heard or I'm being mm. told, well, you know, this is... This is, there's another side to the story, hmm. right? And so countering it in a sense of, okay, you're saying this, but this is the other side of the story. And, 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 we under, and I understand that. Like, I understand there's always two sides to the story. But when it comes to, I think, racism and discrimination in any spaces, you know, oftentimes we are not heard or we're not validated in those spaces of, of what we've experienced. Hmm. And I was and I was talking about, you know, fortunately, and I think I say fortunately because um, my my eleven year old daughter did a, a paper or an essay in her class about racial discrimination recently, hmm. and she wanted to le- know about it. You know what what do you what do you mean what do they mean when they say this? What does that mean, mom? And <laughs> I. I had to, I explained it in the best way possible, but I took her to a drugstore and I, we went in and I said, okay, watch the security guard, Hmm. watch the security guard when we go in and just see how, what he does. Right. And so we go in security guard, you know, is at the door. And then we go into um, the, the drugstore and then he, he follows us. And then mm-hmm. we go down one, one lane and I said, just wait. I said, let's just stop here. And I said, look back. He's gonna peek, probably gonna peek his head over and watch us. Sure enough, <laughs> the security guard, you know, peeks down the aisle, but he stayed and he followed us throughout uh, the store. And I said, you know, when I explained what that it was in terms of racial profiling or stereotyping and discrimination. And again, you know, I'm thankful in a way that my my children and maybe they have and they haven't shared it, but haven't been open about it because we try to counter that as much as possible by encouraging our identity as Indigenous people within their lives so within the culture within the ceremonies within the songs the dance everything is so important in um ensuring that somehow it counteracts the racism that they they are going to experience and that's the mm. thing right we know we know our children are going to experience this our children mm. are visibly indigenous looking and we know mm-hmm. that this is you know, it's just, it's just a part of, unfortunately, it's a part of their life. You know, we've had to experience this throughout our lives. You know, we've shared that in different podcasts, the different experiences that we've had in different spaces. And it's important that we have people uh, like yourself, Roberta, who are um, speaking that truth, but also, you know, understanding the responsibility of, of white people out there in terms of um, the work that needs to happen in, mm-hmm. in moving forward and, and, and validating and understand that this is, you know, 
this is happening everywhere is all the time mm -hmm. all the time yeah and to distinguish between you know as you're sharing thank you terry as as you're sharing about that and and the experience of, of taking your daughter to the drugstore and and showing her by that kinesthetic experience that's i mean that's potent that's potent and not something i can identify with so i want to be clear about that but there's there's a, a distinction there between the work right because for you <clears throat> Um, doing as that, that black woman said, we have more work to do. And where's the white folks in it for you doing that work is a daily necessity. It's not a choice. It's not a choice. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you don't do it, certain things come into jeopardy, your safety. Uh, I mean, we know it's, it's what your safety, your life sometimes, right? For white folks, it's a choice. So, you know, so many of us are like, ah, oh, well, you know, I don't have to do that. You know, there's all these safe spaces for whiteness across this nation. It's just fucked up in many ways, right? Fucking rights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Like, swearing the whole podcast today. We should put a disclaimer. Okay. We should call this we should episode put a fuck, disclaimer. Fuck, fuck that. <laughs> or just, no. Or fucking white supremacy. <laughs> my kind of podcast. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, so what happens when, and I think that's how using our privilege looks. So think like what happens when we use that privilege of choice, you know, choice is a privilege. When we engage that privilege of choice to do the work every day, even when we don't have to, that's the swell that we need. Again, this is returning to that gap. And, and so, yeah, I think there's a real distinction there and uh, that uh, talking about this distinction is an extension of what this woman was saying. It's like, yeah, black and brown folks like do you, you've been doing the work since the beginning. Why? Because you have to, to keep yourselves on the planet. Hmm. That's, that's powerful. But white folks, we have the choice every day. We don't have to do that. So engaging that privilege of choice is, is the, the shift that we need. And I think the reason why people, you know, when, when you say to a, a white person, I mean, I've been there. Like, you have a responsibility to this work. What happens to keep them from the work? Well, what flares up is what we know to be white fragility. And there are many different uh, symptoms of white fragility. I'm going to call it symptoms because it's kind of a fucking disease, isn't it? <laughs> white fragility. It's part of the disease of white supremacy. <laughs> and defensiveness is one of those things. Yes. Because there's a tendency to, and this is how white supremacy works. This is one of the ways. There's a tendency to conflate um, uh, like some sort of a moral badness with the work that needs to be done. So it's like, oh, you need to do your decolonization work. <gasps> I can't believe you're saying I'm a shitty person. It's like, well, I just said you need to do your decolonization work. But that's how white fragility and defensiveness 
this works. And so then what happens is it it is part of the energetic that keeps the status quo in place. Because white folks are like, I can't believe I'm so like offended that you would suggest I need to do something for the betterment of the whole. I'm in power, right? And, and then that defensiveness keeps the status quo moving along, mm-hmm. chugging along. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's a multifaceted issue. And you know, Roberta, in the beginning when you talked about when when I asked or I, I posed the idea of an invitation and something really profound went off in my brain when you said that you weren't, uh, that the invitation just didn't, you didn't hop upon an invitation, that you were forced into it from, from your, from the understanding of your own, like your child mm-hmm. and recognizing how he's been socialized and racialized. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought of um, a black scholar uh, by the name of Ken Hardy. And Roberta, I, I'm pretty sure you've seen uh, some of uh, Ken's work. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Hardy talks about is the assaulted sense of self. And, yes. And he talks about, um, I will bring up race less when you start to bring it up more. And uh, he's constantly questioned by white folks, why do you constantly bring up race? And he he says, I'll bring it up less when you bring it up more. And he talks about the socialization of of um, color of colorism or the socialization of how racialized folks recognize when they are racialized. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. because he uses examples like, you know, white folks uh, understand uh, race or 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 um, racialized folks when they take their first trip to another country where it's predominantly black and brown folks or when they do this or do they do that. But black and brown folks recognize that they are different when they're at the age of two or three and that we understand race and and colorism very different than white folks do because of that. And, you know, and I've, I've shared stories with students before and Roberta, I'm pretty sure I've said this in, in classrooms um, where, you know, I ask my white students, what have you learned about us as Indigenous peoples? And, and you know, my white mm-hmm. students, and I'll ask them to be very honest and open with me. And they'll say things like, well, we've learned don't go to the reserve because it's an incredibly dangerous place. Mm-hmm. Um, don't date Native girls because they're all sluts. Um, and Native boys or men will hurt you and that we white folks from neighboring communities around our reserves have been taught that we they are to fear us and that we are scary people who are violent and will hurt them right or we're overly sexualized then Mm -hmm. i say to my students do you want to hear what you what we've learned about you And what we've learned about white folks is where to go to get the least racist services. So we will go, we've been taught by our parents, don't go to that hospital because they'll leave you to die in the waiting room. Don't Mm -hmm. go to that pharmacy because you'll be followed around. Don't go grocery shopping over here because A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We have been taught where to go to receive the least racist services. 
But even now, and I think that this is the thing, like with the whole Colton Boucher case and even going into, you know, if you broke down on the road and you were, you needed help to go into, you know, a, a farmer's home, yeah. you know, going up. And it was interesting because I was, I was, um, I was back home, like in, in the area this past weekend and there was a sign for sale of this home and it was in the country and we couldn't see the sign i couldn't see the sign because it was it was further in um you had to go in to see it but the anxiety the anxiety that i had just to drive in to somebody else's yard in like the country was unreal mm -hmm. and again this is that thing you're you're taught not to go in you know and, and we 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 know why because we we've seen that happen and we've seen a young indigenous man killed you know and 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 this is the reality of of oh gosh the reality mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> there's so many you know and and when amber speaks of that you know we are taught that in the sense of um the do's and don'ts yeah. The do's and don'ts to keep, and we, we do that with our children, you know. Mm -hmm. And like Roberta mm -hmm. said, it, it's a necessity to stay alive. And that, and, and when you yeah. say that, Roberta, it, I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you say too, like to, <clears throat> touching back on what you said about, uh, you know, my, my motivating factor came through the existence of my son. And I wish I could say otherwise, I do. Um, but so then what motivated my work? Relationship. You know, and I know you all have talked over and over again, time and again, and that it's a huge extension of Indigenous spirituality, relationality, relationships. And white supremacy has done a really good job of polarizing folks. And what's segregation? Segregation is a product of white supremacy. What is it? Separating, separating folks. Teaching false narratives about worthiness based on socialized racialization. And it continues to happen. We know segregation is not dead. I don't give a fuck if, you know, the, the schools have been that, you You still see it. We're still segregated. And so one of the ploys of white supremacy to keep itself going is that separation which causes polarization. And so here's a, another part of the invitation to white folks. Get into relationships. But we need to be real clear that those relationships are not about checking boxes. And they may feel like that at first because we have internalized so much white supremacy that we believe these shitty narratives about they and them, uh, you know, indigenous folks, this, be afraid, black folks, this, Asian folks, this, blah, 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 all the shitty racist narratives. We believe them. We internalize them. Even if we're not thinking them at the forefront, we, we have all that internalized. So at first, as a white person stepping out to do the work, it may feel awkward and like you're checking boxes, but when there's an authenticness, 
when there's a depth of authenticity, when the purpose is decolonization, which is appealing away from colonial narratives, which are also patriarchal. I mean, patriarchy and colonialism need each other to, to stay alive. We know that. And so decolonization is appealing away from what we have been taught to think and believe as white folks. And it needs to be done mindfully with vigilance. And we need to move through the guilt and the shame and the defensiveness and all the shit that's going to work to keep the status quo alive. And when we continue to work through that, then what we contact beneath all that shit that white supremacy has strategically put in place, what we contact is our humanity. And there's authenticity to that. And authenticity is one of the life forces of relationship. And so relationship is really what is going to be the continual motivating factor to keep us doing this work. Because once you really connect into humans, then that connection creates a different kind of motivation. So that's part of the invitation to white folks. Move into different, like if, I mean, it's, it's like, what is that? An echo chamber. If, if you look around and your social circles are all white as a white person, you're in a fucking echo chamber. You are. You're going to get all the narratives reflected back to you. Yeah. You know, I mean, part of my field placement, as you know well, Amber, is like, it's been a deep dive into, I have not taken in any white media. None. All of the media for more than a year now have been, has been indigenous and other um, racialized peoples. And when you start to hear those perspectives, when you take yourself out of the echo chamber, yes, <laughs> and you start to open yourself to all the different ideas, ways of being, ways of thinking, ways of moving in the world. And then what starts to happen, which is a beautiful thing, is you start to move into either or uh, both and mindset and thinking rather than either or. And you all know both and is part of indigeneity and indigenous ways of knowing and being is the both and that things can coexist. Mm. You know, we can experience joy and sorrow at the same time. Mm. And the one of the masteries of the, not mastery, that's a shitty word. One of the strategies of white supremacy is that polarization that either or good bad you know high low sad happy it can't everything's polarized right but when we now i feel like i'm on this giant tangent here <laughs> but really you know i think where we started where i started was relationality and that's important and through that we 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 have the ability to break down dissolve dismantle dissect the narratives that we've otherwise just internalized in our white whitey echo chambers <laughs> and then we we start to understand that there's so much more that there's a both and out there yeah. it's yeah. not just either or that's a socialist that we're socialized into believing this either or 
polarized bullshit whitewash I want to make, I, I, I feel like I need to make this comment <clears throat> and it's in regards to, cause you talked about segregation and how that mm. happens today. And I need to, for our listeners who are educators, who are teachers out there, who are administrators, um, mm. I know I come from a family of teachers as well. And we still see this in our schools in all over where they are segregating indigenous children into classrooms and there's there's lots of different great excuses that they're not great excuses they're excuses that are given to Mm -hmm. why they do that um and and we see that Mm -hmm. um in our areas that they are putting all the indigenous children into one classroom together now the other piece to this is that there's also different streams within high school that your students that students have the option of going through um, mm. my understanding, and I could be completely wrong cause I don't work in, in a high school, but there's five streams. Mm. Two of the streams will get you into post-secondary. Two of the streams of the five streams will get you. Now you think about, and I think this has been an issue is that our indigenous groups that of students who are going in are not necessarily put into the streams to go into post-secondary education. And that's why we are, you know, as, as somebody who's uh, worked at developing uh, the Pimachi Swin Foundation program at McEwen, is, is understanding this gap, but understanding that a lot of our students, our Indigenous students, do not meet the requirements of post-secondary. They, they have their diploma, but again, they're not, they're put into these freaking spaces and they are not given the opportunity as others to get into post-secondary. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and again, like this is just, that's one example. So if you have an administrator out there, just calling, all, calling out all administrators. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And, and, and the, again, I, I get that there is, there is reasons. Again, to me, there are excuses. We should not yeah. be doing that. Regardless of wherever... Um, wherever a student may be academically, they can gain some, some, some mentorship or some knowledge in being in classrooms with those who may be, you know, higher end on the higher end of being on, of their academics. Right. And, and that's important to role model and see that mentorship in the classroom too. Right. And so Mm. I think that, man, that's a, that's just, I don't know, that had to come up. (laughs) And Mm. uh, I think that that's, that's one small piece. And we think about as one very small piece of the systems in which we work in. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Systems. (laughs) And, and so maybe this is a good place for us, Roberta, to think about our, our wrap up. But one of the things I want to say to you first, Roberta, before I invite you to have some closing comments or, or more invitation, because this is what I love about this conversation is there's lots of invitation. I really mm. like and I visualize the echo chamber that you were speaking of and uh, and hearing you say that you have only consumed uh, non-white uh, media for, um, and non-white's not even the right word, that you've consumed media from folks uh, of... Uh, black and brown folks for a year I just when she said that I was like frick that's so like 
and yet so ex there's it's accessible it's obviously accessible oh, we just good. have to you know we have to dig it up there's but lots there's lots one of the one of the things i want to say to you roberta and we had this conversation prior and, and terry and i know this well i'll use one quick story my sister uh works over at the university of alberta and uh, she's in a, a leadership position over there and and i was introducing her to uh someone who I had met, and uh, and so this person is is uh, of settler descent and identifies as a settler, and and so I was sending a connecting email between my white settler friend and my sister who works over at the university, and all I had to say in that email was, "Hello, sis. Here's you know I'm connecting you to so and so. This person is right deadly." And yeah. When I said that, I know what deadly means. I've listened to your entire there podcast. There you go. There you go. And that's what I mean. So there, all my sister needed to hear in that email was that this person was deadly. My sister immediately developed a, a relationship with this person and they did some work together. We all have terminology within our communities that tells others that we trust you as an ally. And ally is 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 not our word. That's that's not a Nahio term. We don't have the word ally in our in our in our vocab, but we do say this person is deadly, and uh, and when we say that to each other, we know that we can trust you, and mm. uh, you know what an honor to be called deadly. You know, as as a Monial person, you know, in in the indigenous community and Nahio communities, and so I want to you know send a message to our listeners that if you are of, of settler descent, or if you are a, a someone who uh, works within uh, indigenous communities, and if you've ever been called deadly, uh, that's a high honor. And and I think that uh, Roberta, one of the the foundations of becoming deadly, is that we can trust you, mm. and that we know that you are not going to come into community and you're going to just fuck shit up. And, and just make things all amok. You know, they already were, and, and that you're not gonna come in and, and make it worse, that so you're gonna do no harm. And, uh, and so we have to trust each other. And so thank you, Roberta, for being someone that I can trust and that mm. Terry and I can sit in this relationship with you and that we know you're gonna go out there and continue to be deadly, uh, not just for your son, but also for humanity. And, mm. and that that's really important to us. And so, um, yeah, I, I just want to say thank you for being so deadly, Roberta. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know listeners can't see our facial expressions, but it is, it's received as a high honor. Mm -hmm. for sure. mm -hmm. And so what do you want to leave our listeners with, Roberta? Is there any other F-bombs that you want to drop? <laughs> I got lots of F-bombs in me. It. We're here for it. <laughs> I can talk about like the most serene thing and let an F-bomb make its way. <laughs> I'm good at that. Um, you know, I think that <clears throat> on that note, I guess I have a, you know, I mean, I have many invitations for, for people, especially, you know, my, my, uh, my white counterparts and you talk about um, ally and, and you know that ally is not a, a word that that uh, resides within the Nihil vocabulary 
And I, I want to be real clear with my white kinfolk that it, nor is it our word. It is not our word. Why? We cannot define ourselves as such because it's not our place. It is not our place to um, claim ourselves as allies. That high honor that you have just offered me comes through connecting to that authenticity that is a, a deep part of our humanity and who we are. And through authenticity, which comes with constancy and commitment and responsibility and dedication, that is how we develop trust. You know, again, it's not about checking boxes. And in the beginning, it will feel that way. White folks, listen up. In the beginning, you will feel inauthentic because white supremacy is inauthentic. You've internalized it. Therefore, when you start to take it apart, there will be a lot of resistance. There's going to be a lot of backlash from your internalized uh, paradigm. And so it feels really inauthentic at first. Keep doing it. Beneath all of that shit is your humanity. White supremacy equally harms y'all white people. Mm -hmm. hurting all of us. And so once you get beneath that harm and that violence and that internalization of dysfunctional paradigms, you meet your humanity and your authenticity. And with that, you formulate true and authentic relationships that has as, have as their basis trust. And so never do you claim yourself as an ally because it is not your place. Mm-hmm. Know that. And, and, you know, some of you out there, white folks, are gonna be like, I can't believe it. <laughs> okay. Because white supremacy, again, one of its strategies is that fragility and that defensiveness. Um, you know, sometimes we have to think about impact over intention. And the impact of claiming yourself as an ally is you look like you're checking a box. You are not being authentic when you do that. And so think about that as the impact. You know, your intention might be good. Your intention matters less than your impact if you are white. Hmm. Carry that with you. There's my invitation to you white folks. Well, there's lots of invitations inside of everything I've just said. But there, there's the resounding invitation. Understand that your, your, your impact matters more than your intention. Fuck intention. <laughs> And if any white folks come for you, don't worry. Me and Terry got your back. <laughs> we got you, Roberta. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Roberta. Thank you so much oh for today. Oh, my God. Uh, it was Thank an honor so to much sit with you and me. share this space. So thank you so much. It's I such an honor. Thank you. Yeah. I thank you. Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Tony means. Yeah. Let's go. 
They pushed us to this point, frustrations of a common man Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor Like what's the use of my kids, can't taste clean water A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice Remember ancestors' anguish, lightning in our veins Hear it in a language when they are kitchen for the rain I am product of people that persevere persecution Paint me so creator sees me if I go out shooting Experience our pain when our women disappear daily Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the woods, in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptation? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Two Crees in a Pod.